Well, good morning. I believe this is my uh, third time here with you over the last couple of years. It's always a surprise to me that I get invited back a second time. So thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Our scripture lesson for this morning is taken from the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to begin the reading in the middle of the text at verse 17. So will you give attention to a reading from God's Word? Beginning in verse 17, now this I affirm and testify on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of uncleanness. You did not so learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil." Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and Slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he said to his disciples, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts of the world. Those are concentric circles of influence that broaden out the witness of the church. It's not an option for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to be witnesses for them. It's not whether or not we'll be a witness. The question really is, what kind of a witness are we? It's delightful for me to look at your website and to see the many ways in which you as a congregation corporately give witness to the wonder and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through your involvement in local missions and missions that indeed even extend to Haiti to other parts of the world. 
That's one way you as a congregation are witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we are called upon to be witnesses as we gather together in a place like this. You are a witness to the people who drive up and down this road each and every day. Perhaps as people drive by, someone would say, I think I'm going to stop in there sometime, and maybe that's how some of you have arrived here in this place. But what about your witness? What about my witness? Not when you're wearing the Bethel Presbyterian Church sweatshirt in some sort of an official ministry, but your witness for Jesus Christ each and every day. You know, you only spend less than 2% of your entire life involved in the ministry of the church. Now, I know that seems low, but it's true. You can take a quick survey. For every hour you're associated with the ministry of the church, give yourself a point. So if you're in worship each week, give yourself one point for say, one hour, you may get an extra point or two today. If you attend Sunday school, give yourself a point. If you're involved on one of the committees of the boards of the church, give yourself a point for every hour that you're involved. If your spouse is involved in the ministry of the church, you get all of your spouse's points. And if you have kids that are involved in the ministry of the church, you get their points too, because you've got to pick them up, you've got to take them, you've got to be involved in them. Now, just to make sure that you haven't missed anything, multiply all those points by two. And then divide it by 720, because there are 720 hours in a 30-day month. Move the decimal point over two points, and that number will give you the percentage of time that you're involved in the institutional witness of the church. And that'll be about 2%. What about the other 98% of our time? As you're living as the light, salt, and leaven of the kingdom of God, wherever God has sovereignly scattered you amongst your family, the people you work with, your neighbors? What kind of a witness are you for Jesus Christ? How are you responding to Jesus saying, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses? What kind of a witness are you? How can we as individuals be witnesses for Jesus Christ? Well, it seems to me there are at least three ways we can do that. First of all, we have to be thinking Christianly. That's a real witness in our world today, where people do so much talking, but they do so little thinking. I had a man in my congregation in Oklahoma years ago, who when he was flummoxed by something he didn't understand, he, he would call me on the phone and he'd say, Rick, help me with this. What is the thinking? What is the thinking? So many individuals do so many things without thinking. So thinking Christianly can be a witness for Jesus Christ. As Karen was saying this morning to the children, 
acting Christianly is a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. There is so much unkindness in the world today, not only amongst our children, but our children who learn it from their parents and from other adults. And so are we acting Christianly? But this morning I want to speak to you about the third way that we can be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, along with thinking Christianly and acting Christianly, it is a matter of speaking Christianly. Notice how rough and how coarse the language is in the media, in the printed media, radio, on the television. I read an article just a week or so ago that said the various words that we have identified and I grew up with understanding as so-called curse words have now just become mainstream. And so we're going to hear a lot more of that. But we can be a witness for Jesus Christ in the way we speak to one another. Obviously, the matter of the use of our tongue is important to God. The scriptural lessons that we heard this morning from, from Proverbs and James are just one of two or of many that we could have looked at this morning with regard to our witness for Jesus Christ in terms of how we speak. Very, very quickly, I want to identify ten questions from the text that I read for you this morning that we can use to check what we say and how we say it. So think of a conversation you had with someone at work. Think of a conversation that you had with one of your children or with your, with your spouse or with a neighbor. And ask yourself, was that conversation in which I was involved in, was that me being a good witness for Jesus Christ by what I said and how I said it? Or in reflection, do you regret that your witness for Jesus Christ, based upon what you said and how you said it, was one that was obscured? And not drew people toward you and ultimately to Jesus Christ, but drove them away. Well, here are the ten questions from the text. And the first one comes from two verses before where I started reading. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. The first question is this. Is it loving? Is what you say in conversation with others loving? Verse 15, which is printed in the bulletin from chapter 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. So often we get into conversations with individuals. We're losing the battle in the conversation, and so we ramp up the language, and we have to leave ourselves vulnerable to the question, 
or to the comments, let's say, the reflection, well, that was a loving thing to say. Is what you say a witness for Jesus Christ because it communicates the love of the Lord Jesus Christ abiding in us by the Holy Spirit. Second question is this, taken from that same verse. Is it true? Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Truly speaking, is what you say true? You say, well, it, it, it may have been embellished a little bit. It may have stretched it out a little bit more than it actually was. But the Scriptures say that in a world, particularly in our world, where truth-telling has lost all significance, it seems, and importance. What's important is that you say something that necessarily need to be true. Or individuals are just passing on falsehoods. So when someone speaks the truth, and as chapter 4, verse 15 indicates, speaks the truth in love, that can be a powerful witness to Jesus Christ because there's so little of it. Is it true and is it loving? Number three, is it said in anger? Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We get all spooled up, all ramped up in our conversations. We want to take the day. The more we get involved, the temperature goes up. We become frustrated because we can't get our point across or our point won't be taken by the person that we're arguing with. And very quickly, that rolls into speaking with anger. At the same time that we're using our lips to confess that Jesus is Lord, we're using that same tongue to express anger to those with whom we have a conversation. What kind of a witness is that to Jesus Christ? Number four. Fourth question. Will it give the evil one an opportunity to do his work? Chapter 4, verse 27. And give no opportunity to the evil one. What does the evil one want to do? What's his main goal in life? That is to take away the glory of Almighty God. And he does that pointing to us and accusing us when we don't live consistently with what we say we believe. And so when the evil one sees us arguing and fighting and being angry and mean to one another, the evil one says, that's what I had in mind. Oh, these people, they give them to church every week. They sing praises to the name of Jesus Christ. But from Monday through Saturday, well, it's a different story. What kind of a witness are we to Jesus Christ by what we say and how we say it? 
Are we giving the evil one an opportunity? John was talking about Enos siblings slandering one another. Enos loves that. Just to be in the midst of that, to whisper in our ear, you know, you think so and so is bad. Let me tell you, it's even worse than that. And then we pass it on to somebody else, and then we stretch the truth a little bit. What kind of a witness is this? To the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, will it build someone up or will it tear them down? We're all guilty of that, aren't we? We don't seem to be able to get on top of the situation in an argument or in a conversation. So if we can't raise ourselves up, That's where we want to be. We want to be up and above the person we're talking to. If we can't raise ourselves up in what we say, then in order to stay on top, we've got to push them down. Will what I say build someone up? Or will it tear them down? Think of that conversation with a friend, with a spouse with a sibling, with a parent. Was it building them up? Or was it tearing them down? Number six. Is this the right place and the right time to speak? Chapter 4, verse 29. Speak as fits the occasion. There are plenty of times when something needs to be said. Plenty of times when someone needs to say something. Plenty of times when the truth needs to be proclaimed, and that is a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes it doesn't need to be said now or here in front of other individuals, in front of colleagues. Perhaps the Christian thing to do, the speaking Christianly would be to take that person aside quietly so that you can communicate to them what you want to say without embarrassing them or without tearing them down. Number seven, will what I say impart grace? As fits the occasion, verse 29, that it may impart grace to those who hear. In your conversations with someone, Do they walk away and feel as though they have received your favor that they may not even deserve? Well, that's what grace is. And we're to speak graciously to one another because that's how God speaks to us. We don't deserve to hear from Him. We deserve His wrath because of our sin. How he speaks to us. And how does he speak to us? He speaks to us through his word written. And he speaks to us through his word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Is what you're about to say to someone this week when you see them, will it impart grace to them? Number eight. Is it free of bitterness, clamor, slander, and malice? And let me add to that list, gossip. Paul says in verse 31, 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Keep in mind now, as we review these questions from the book of Ephesians, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church. He's writing to us. This isn't directives for individuals who are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't care anything about spiritual things. They'd share these things with them would just go right over their heads anyway. Why would they care? But this is written to people in the church. It's written to us. And what we say to one another, is it free of bitterness? Is it free of clamor? Slander, malice, gossip. Number 9 and 10 go together because they're in the same verse. Number 9, the question is, is what I'm saying kind? Is it kind? And number 10, is it tender-hearted and or forgiving? My wife, known as Mimi to her five grandchildren, at various times in their growing up years, were watched while their parents worked by my wife, their grandmother, Mimi. She oftentimes would have the two boys, or the two girls, or sometimes all four of them, and then when the fifth came in from Roanoke, she'd have all five of them. And you know what it's like when kids get together, particularly those who are related, things go well sometimes, and then sometimes they don't. And so Mimi needed to teach them this verse. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one other cousins. And they were fighting about something. And they stopped just like that when Mimi came into the room. And they began to sing the song she taught them when they were four and five. You probably know it. Be kind one to another Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Big football players on Mount Lebanon football team. The big golfer on the golf course. Singing, "Be ye kind," the song that Mimi taught them years and years ago. Because what we say. It was the absolute lowest point in my ministry. I was ordained pastor in 1975, though I pastored for three years prior to that up in Boston. 
So I've got a few years in. A lot of mistakes can be made. This one was the worst. In 1982, I was pastoring a little oil field town in central Oklahoma, Seminole, Oklahoma. Little congregation, about 60 or 70 people. We decided that we would go to some of the people in our congregation to sing Christmas carols. So I put together a list of places where we would go. We got about 25 people together, and we met at the church. And then we were just going to go. I handed out where we were going to go, and we would drive to those places. And before we loaded up in the car, someone said to me, Pastor Rowan, how did you decide who we're going to Christmas carol to? I said, just as a matter of fact, well, primarily for the older people in our congregation, we appreciate a... Um, a visit with some Christmas carols. Okay. So we all loaded up and we went to Louise Welsh's house. She was our first visit. She was a retired professor of Oklahoma history at the University of Oklahoma. We went on to a porch, rang the doorbell, the light came on, she came out with this huge smile on her face and she said, Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for coming. But why is it that you came to visit me. And that's when it happened. I had a stroke or something. <laughs> Actually, I just reverted to type. And I went for the quick retort. The not-so-funny line. And I said, We're here because you're old! was her pastor. I had 20 people who gathered like you have today to listen to me tell them how to live the Christian life. And I crashed and burned. I think of that comment because you're old. And based upon those ten questions I just asked you, there were at least eight fails. Eight. If I'm honest, probably ten. <coughs> what kind of a witness will you be for the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll be the kind that brings in honor and glory when we think Christians. When we
us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for your goodness and your grace. We're thankful, Lord, for the ability to communicate in words. Help us to use our words, O Lord. And to very simply be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us. So that we might be witnesses. That you need us to be, in other words, in other ways, uh, so that people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ will come to know him as Savior and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.